quotes Infused with the scent of potpourri Filled to commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see Tell me I view obsessively. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly podcast that reviews one or two new release titles every episode with an occasional free-for-all segment at the end that we call Potpourri. You can find more of our work, including written reviews, full episode show notes, and a complete backlog of our episodes at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also write into the show by emailing me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you'd like to support us and get access to hundreds of exclusive episodes, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer where you can get access to content at any of our tier levels on a recurring monthly subscription basis or you can buy individual collections a la carte in the patreon shop section uh, this week on the patreon i uh, have been continuing my flanagan fridays uh, series i am up to like this coming friday when you're listening to this will be uh, episode three of the haunting of hill house i'll have a full recap of that um, and then the next day on Saturday, I am continuing my Sci-Fi Saturdays series where I am reviewing Foundation right now, season two. I'll be have like episode two or three, uh, episode three of season two up on Saturday. And then also I did uh, another Patreon potpourri episode, which is a full length episode exclusive to Patreon members. Um, this week's episode or last week uh, was post-apocalyptic sci-fi on the Criterion channel. So I reviewed The Day the Earth Caught Fire, Panic in Year Zero, Testament, and The Quiet Earth. Uh, so that is on Patreon. Once again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for all that and a bunch more content content. I'm your host, Matt Hurd, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd, at Obsessive Viewer. And in our featured review tonight, uh, we'll be reviewing the latest Blumhouse horror movie, Night Swim, which opened in theaters on January 5th. And for this week's secondary review, we'll be reviewing Jake Johnson's directorial debut, Self-Reliance, which is currently streaming on Hulu. And joining me tonight to do that is my friend and IFJ colleague, Sam Watermeyer, who can be followed on Letterboxd at Letterboxd.com slash Sam Movie Man, and you can also find his work on MidwestFilmJournal.com. Welcome back to the show, Sam. How have you been, and how has your 2024 started out? Um, I'm a lot better now that I'm on the show. Nice. <laughs> um, no, seriously, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. Of course. Um... I, uh, it, it's funny. I, I feel like I've been more enthusiastic in past episodes <laughs> with this episode. I feel like we have one disappointing movie and for me, at least one movie that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'll, uh, I won't reveal which is which, but <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm I'm usually pretty enthusiastic, but I might be a bit of a downer. Yeah, I like it's so funny because the the episode that's that's a uh, that's a disappointment or the movie that's a disappointment, not the episode that's a disappointment. Please God, don't let this episode be a disappointment. Remains, remains to be seen. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the movie that's a disappointment. It's funny because like I had this like mapped out for weeks, and I knew that you were excited about the movie. I was excited about the movie, and we're going to talk about it here in a bit but whew, it's just it's 
it it's not not the best um <laughs> but it is in my top five for 2024 movies right now um which oh wow have That's, to get in uh, that joke um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah but we'll talk about that in a bit but i do have a couple of news items to bring up just a couple quick ones uh that came up uh earlier this month uh the one that i'm not surprised about but <laughs> i am Something about is that David Gordon Green is no longer directing uh, The Exorcist um, Deceiver, uh, the sequel in the planned Exorcist trilogy from Universal and Blumhouse, and they are currently searching for a new director. Um, Sam, did you see The Exorcist Believer? I did. Um, I thought it was fine. Mm. Uh, To me, it was like Exorcist cosplay. It, It didn't really come close to the the magic of the original not Mm. that i really expected it to but you know uh david gordon green did such interesting things with his halloween trilogy um but then again that trilogy started out on kind of a lower note Mm -hmm. so i thought you know maybe this is just uh believer is just him kind of warming up and the trilogy will become more interesting from from here but uh the fact that he's not returning as director is is uh a bad sign um and i also didn't think the idea of a trilogy was that great i mean i Mm -hmm. i get uh, uh the capitalistic reasons behind it <laughs> right but um i just thought like really we're gonna squeeze three movies out of this yeah um and i have to imagine that there was at least some kind of plan in place for all three but mm. it, it sounds like uh blumhouse was kind of waiting to see what would happen with the first one and yeah. i don't remember did it do well box office wise i don't think it did i know critically it was not it was pretty much panned overall and it's not a good movie i really didn't like it i uh reviewed yeah. it on the show with uh, our friend brent and that we both were not very high on this movie and it's it's funny because from what i understand like universal paid a buttload for the rights like so the idea to make a trilogy was more of a like we need to recoup what we spent to get just the rights to make this damn thing um and my big takeaway from the first movie was that uh it felt more like it was an assignment for david gordon green than it was Mm -hmm. anything he had a passion for like the like the first uh, installment of his Halloween trilogy, it is filled with a lot of really interesting uh, Easter eggs and a lot of interesting connections um, from what I remember. And, and it's, there is, there is that like that love for the franchise that it has, like there, that kind of goes through, like it, it's clearly made the Halloween trilogy was clearly made by people who appreciated the franchise and the weight of it. And, this i don't know if exorcist was a a case of um they them just not having a passion for the material or if the exorcist as a franchise just isn't as you know big nowadays as it as it was when it first came out um yeah i don't know yeah i think um it's just a like i said before it's a strange movie to try to 
squeeze a trilogy out of. I I would have preferred to see David Gordon Green maybe reboot uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh um, yeah, series because there's so much you can do with the the dream world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the possibilities are you know literally endless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think the Exorcist, um, like there's just not as much fodder there, and I feel right. like uh possession horror is no longer really surprising like uh you know demons all kind of have the same voice um the same (laughs) uh characteristics like you know we've seen countless uh knockoffs of uh the exorcist and and Uh, I don't know, just it's not as surprising to see that recreated yet again. Um, Totally agree. So I think that's kind of the inherent problem with Mm -hmm. the exorcist. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that it's uh, losing him as a director. Um, Yeah. I say that, I say that in a somber way as if I really give much of a shit. (laughs) Right. Um, But um, uh, no, but I mean, honestly, I am a huge horror fan and I would have loved to have seen, you know, I don't know. It it remains to be seen. Maybe Mm. the second one they'll bring on an interesting director. I don't know. Yeah. It would be interesting if they could, if they could find a way to, uh, to, to salvage it because either way they're going to make the other two movies. I just don't know what it's going to look like or who's going to be at the helm. And especially given just the way that the first movie is just so lackluster, in my opinion, it just, I, it'll take a lot for it to recapture my attention. Um, but yeah, so we'll see what happens. Um, kind of on a similar note, like kind of the a completely different news story that has me much more excited than than anything is uh like a couple of weeks ago by the time people are listening to this um the news broke that there is a 28 days later sequel in the works with Danny Boyle and Alex Garland returning uh with the expectation to hopefully launch a new trilogy of films starting with 28 years later um now sam 28 days later is one of my all-time favorite movies like that is a movie that i remember i saw it in the theater when i was in high school and i was nervous about it because i wasn't really that I was, I was nervous that it would be like too like gory and it's not, but, um, I was nervous about that. And then I remember like coming home after seeing it in the theater and like going on the IMDb message boards and reading like Ebert's review of it and, and like thinking like, Oh my God, this is, yeah, I agree with this. And this, this poster is trash. This IMDb message board poster is trash. Um, it's like, I love 28 days later and I'm a, I'm an apologist for the, uh, or a supporter of the sequel 28 weeks later. But, um, I'm very ecstatic that, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland are going to reteam for 28 years later. Um, how about you? What do you feel? How do you feel about this news? Oh, I'm stoked too. I, nice. I think 28 days later is one of the greatest horror films ever made. Um, nice. I, I mean, it really kind of revitalized the zombie genre mm-hmm. to me. 
and and made it exciting again. Um, you know, of course, everyone credits it with kind of inventing fast zombies. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's a lot more to it than that. I oh, mean, yeah. Uh, just the the kind of grainy digital handheld style is is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was still kind of new at the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I can't wait for this next one. I do think we need to maybe calm down a little bit with trilogies. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Like yeah. I've heard there's there's a, a Strangers trilogy in the works. Yep. And it's like, let's see if the first movie works. And see, like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Strangers trilogy is going to be interesting. Because from what I understand, all three of them were shot back to back. They're all coming out this year. Um, that's my understanding at least. Um, and that is intriguing mostly because they did the same thing. Like Netflix did the same thing with fear street, um, a few years ago. And I really liked that, but, um, but yeah, the whole idea of like, it's, it'll be very interesting to see, and this is me just spitballing here, but it'll be very interesting to see how the winds shift, um, whenever the Halloween tv show is comes out if it ever comes out um because i know that they i can't remember who got the rights to it but someone got the rights to halloween to make to to um with the with the intention of making a tv show out of it uh which will be very interesting if that if that happens but also there's um the i think peacock maybe is working on um castle lake a uh uh, or Crystal Lake, I'm sorry, Crystal Lake, um, set in the Friday the 13th universe. That's going to be a TV show. So I'm curious if we'll see like a shift where it's like, okay, maybe we don't do full like feature length trilogies. We just do uh, TV sh- TV series adaptations of like big name horror properties. Um, but that all remains to be yeah. seen. Well, it's something I'd like to talk about later with self-reliance mm-hmm. is... Uh, I think we're kind of drifting into this um, trend of of expanding stories when they don't really need to be. And I think that's Mm -hmm. due to maybe the popularity of streaming series. I mean, not that I have anything against streaming series, but Mm -hmm. I, I think with some movies, it's preferable to just do a one and done. Yeah um remake um uh so i don't know but having said that i'm also interested in the idea of a halloween series that mm. you know explores haddonfield so i'm yeah. kind of a hypocrite um but <laughs> i don't know it, it's funny like the past few things i've said i've been like i don't know that might be bad and then i eventually say i don't know it sounds pretty cool just kind of talk yourself into Um, it (laughs) yeah 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 that it's i don't know the idea of of a halloween tv show like i like i when the news broke this was months ago but when the news broke i was trying to think like how could they possibly do that or what would be the best way to do it and like i i think i i threw on the original Halloween and I just kind of realized like they should do like not real time, uh thing like 24, but do it like 
like a limited series where it the entire show the entire season takes place on Halloween and it starts at the beginning starts like during the day and then gradually gets up to nighttime and and the killings and everything not a direct remake of the of the of the story or anything like that but something 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 worthwhile enough to make it expansive enough to uh to facilitate a full season of show of of a show or at least a limited run of episodes uh, but have it all take place over halloween i think that's a great idea or maybe just yeah. even the whole month of october mm-hmm. um and you know i think haddonfield is really rich territory for for drama oh yeah just given you know how how haunted um the town is and how scarred mm-hmm. the residents are i mean there are a lot of things you could explore there so yeah i think it could be interesting totally and that's one of the reasons why i liked david gordon green's trilogy is that it does put the focus on haddonfield and even if people don't really didn't really care for some of that too much um i do like that the trilogy as a whole kind of explores like what the trauma of 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 michael myers does to that entire community which i think i thought was i thought it was explored pretty well um yeah so yeah definitely yeah uh so those are the only two news items i have um once again just excited for the idea of 28 years later like i just i'm 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 so pumped for that. Like, I'm just so curious uh, to see what what that looks like whenever it happens. But um, but Sam, we are here tonight to talk about a couple of movies. Are you ready to go in to our first review of the evening? I am. All right. Awesome. So first up in our featured review, we're going to be reviewing Night Swim, which is in theaters. It might not be in theaters by the time you guys are listening to this, but it is in theaters as of January. It was released in theaters January 5th. Uh, The premise, according to IMDb, is a family moves into a new home unaware that a dark secret from the house's past will unleash a malevolent force in the backyard pool. Uh, Director for the movie was Bryce McGuire. Writer was Bryce McGuire with screen by credits by Bryce McGuire and Rod Blackhurst, uh, who they both wrote the short film, I believe. Um, Yes. And uh, the cast includes Wyatt Russell, Carrie Condon, uh, Amelie uh, Hoferly, and Gavin Warren. And of course, we're going to do a non-spoiler and then spoiler review. So we will separate this, uh, separate it with a clip from the trailer later on. If you want to navigate timestamps, those uh, uh, navigate around the spoilers. The timestamps are in the show notes of the episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV412. So Sam, here we go. Non-spoiler review time for Night Swim. Um, I remember you, like you and I talking about how it looks really good. It looked really good. I don't know that I saw the short film, but like we were both pretty excited about this movie. Um, so let's talk about it. <laughs> um, I do want to give a quick plug. You did write a review for Midwest Film Journal. I'll have a link in the show notes. But Sam, why don't you go ahead and take it away with your non-spoiler thoughts on Night Swim and let's hash out this movie. So <clears throat> I was excited for this movie since the first teaser trailer, which was the best teaser I've seen in a long time. Mm, the Marco Polo um, one? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, for those who don't know, it revolves around two teenagers in a pool playing Marco Polo. And uh, one of the teenagers kind of vanishes during the game. And the other one, the girl, swims uh, underwater to try to find him. And the pool kind of opens up into this abyss. And I just thought, oh, my God, that is a childhood fear that I had <laughs> yes. that, you know, the the murkiness below me would just be endless and uh, pools were full of monsters. And I was just so stoked. I was like, this taps <laughs> into such a relatable fear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh Because, you know, when you're a kid in a pool, like anything is possible. Like you're worried that that sharks could be around as ridiculous (laughs) as that sounds. Um, So I was in and the trailer really doesn't uh, reveal much more than just the, you know, the darkness of the pool. And there's a a cool shot of um, the surface kind of closing as if. Uh, like she's swimming toward an entrance that is closing in on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought, whoa, this looks so cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it wasn't reliant on these sort of new boogeyman monsters that we've seen, like the yeah. nun or, or Pennywise, mm-hmm. like the, you know, uh, the trailer makes it very mysterious as to, you know what the real threat is going to be right uh, it's just kind of the pool itself and i was really stoked for that and um i'll just say the movie really didn't take advantage of the premise that in a pool anything is possible i, right. I feel like it is very tame with the horrors that it explores. Um, uh, You know, I don't know if it was a budgetary reason or just kind of lack of creativity, but what the, what the director, uh, what was it? Bryce Uh, Bryce McGuire. Yeah what he ultimately ends up exploring in the pool just isn't uh terribly scary or exciting um and okay i'll, I'll just leave my initial thoughts there for, yeah. for you to jump in <laughs> sure um and it's not like i agree completely and it's it's such a bummer because that teaser trailer is so is so moody and so atmospheric and it presents a, it it has the idea of being a movie that's all about atmosphere and tension, but what the actual story we get is so kind of cookie cutter. It's very cliched. It is very much like a standard PG-13 studio horror movie that's pumped out with like an algorithmic look uh or an algorithmic sort of uh uh series of events in the script and it's such a letdown because it it could have been so much more interesting i'm not even too upset about it being a pg-13 horror movie because they could have done a lot more with the pg-13 um rating if they wanted to keep it at that but 
there's just so much to it that is left unexplored and kind of half-baked that I like <laughs> like so so a big part of the story is the family moves in and the father of the family is played by Wyatt Russell. He is a retired um uh, MLB uh baseball player who is dealing with um uh, multiple sclerosis uh, diagnosis, and he is reckoning with like his 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 nervous system and his his body not being able to perform the way that it it could, and it's very like that. That's one part where the story does a pretty good job of laying out like a, a pretty intriguing uh, character base for that character, um, but. Then you in you enter into all of the horror elements of it, and it just doesn't do anything too interesting with it. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, the I, I will say that I had only seen the teaser, so I didn't see the full trailer. So like the moment that Wyatt Russell popped up, I was like, oh, oh, oh! I had no idea that he was in this movie, <laughs> and I, I'm a fan of Wyatt Russell. I I really like him, and I think that. He's probably for me the best thing about this movie, but a lot of it just didn't work for me. So, yeah. Yeah, and and I think one of the major weaknesses honestly is is him. Mm. And I don't think it's his performance. I think it's a matter of writing. Um yeah. his character never seems all that jazzed about the magical nature of the pool <laughs> true true um I, you know i i don't think this is too spoilery but mm. uh he uh, cuts his hand while they're moving into the house and after a swim uh one day like literally just a day passes yeah. uh his hand wound is uh miraculously gone mm-hmm. and we get the sense that it's from the pool and he kind of becomes well you would think he would become obsessed with the uh you know mystical qualities (laughs) but he really doesn't and i was kind of expecting him to go full-on like richard dreyfus in close encounters mode right and kind of alienate his family with his obsession over the pool and his obsession just kind of it, like lingers on the surface and and sort of never goes to extreme heights it's um, weirdly subtle it's weirdly yeah. subtle yeah and and in my review i kind of blame that on this trend toward like elevated horror um where you know everything has to be gritty and and realistic and mm-hmm. and subtle like you said and it's like, why can't we have more fun with horror? Yeah. Um, like, to me, the premise taps into this kind of childlike sense of dark wonder with the idea of a pool kind of coming to life. And it's like, why aren't we having more fun with that? Yeah. It, it's the same issue I had with Five Nights at Freddy's. Like, mm. it's it's very downbeat and moody. Yeah. And it's like, we have animatronic animals at our disposal why aren't we having fun with them <laughs> right yeah like, there's a there's a place for elevated horror but it's not 
in Five Nights at Freddy's and it's not in this movie. <laughs> right. And like, it's funny because I feel like the movie has this kind of crisis of identity um, in itself because we have like these little moments of like trying to imitate elevated horror with having like having it be kind of self-serious with his his healing journey and with with some of the like i get a little bit of like the jealousy with the with the son um and and his like uh his little league teammate um but they don't explore it enough but then they also have like some extraordinarily silly surface level um pool centric dialogue <laughs> like there are a couple of scenes where it's like i think wyatt russell at one point says like the pool is the best thing that's ever happened to me or something and like i understand like it technically is because we've seen it heal him but also we haven't we that's all we've seen of it like we've only like we haven't seen him react to the fact that it's healing him or that it's having this effect on him outside of that one that one line and it just comes across as so silly and something that i really <laughs> really kind of giggled at throughout the movie was that it seemed like they needed to make as much emphasis or put as much emphasis on the pool as they could in the dialogue so like like this family just moved into this house and the father's dealing with some health issues. The mother's dealing with, you know, starting a new job and the kids are in a new, new school. But it seems like most of the dialogue that they have, the most of the conversations they have revolve around the pool, which is one element of their entire life changing. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> like, go ahead and keep harping on the pool. But whatever. I don't know. I just thought that that was kind of, it was silly in a movie that tried to be a little bit, wasn't aware that it was being silly as it was also trying to be serious. So. Yeah, that is funny. It's like the pool is one of the selling points of the house for mm -hmm. them, but they do talk about it constantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like constant, like they even take, I mean, they take night swims, right. <laughs> um, because they're so obsessed with it. And mm -hmm. it's like, just a pool yeah um <laughs> like uh that could have been so that could have been that could have been completely handled like that could have been like you wouldn't have had to change a single thing about the script or the movie if they had just added like like a mist from the pool coming up into the house and going in and like have it be like uh implying that like the pool has kind of not necessarily possessed them, but has influenced them to be so centra centralized on the pool. <laughs> like if they would have done like that, it would have been more interesting uh, and more acceptable for them to keep talking about the damn pool. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Because it does rely too much on them being organically interested in it. Yeah. Just like naturally, like, yeah, yeah that would have been interesting if they were like possessed by it. To me, yeah. I was waiting for, like a hard R cocoon sort of deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and uh, I was talking about this with our fellow friend and colleague, Nick Rogers. Mm. It would have been cool if the pool um, kind of put the entire neighborhood in a trance. Oh yeah. 
I think there would have been a little more drama there. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know yeah. I'm committing like one of the cardinal sins of talking about the movie. I, I wish it were mm. rather than what it is, but like it could have been so much cooler. Yeah. And what we do get is in like, even with some aspects being pretty okay and pretty decent, the like the big set pieces of it which i we can maybe talk a little bit more in in depth and spoilers but um some of the like set pieces like even even the one that we referenced earlier when talking about the teaser like that the visuals of like the surface the surface of the water going like incredibly high up to where it's like you're at like a depth that's insane like you're in an ocean like that disorienting state is really cool. It's very interesting. It's thrilling, but it's also like it is. It is exactly visualized. It's exactly like the sunken place in Get Out, and it's like that. And then there's a whole sequence that is. It's the opening scene of it in a pool, and I'm like, like you're not paying homage to these things. You're just repurposing something that is wildly popular and trying to get away with it because it's a pool. And I'm like, it's, it just felt very, like you had mentioned, uh, you didn't know if aspects of the movie were a result of poor script or lack of creativity. Um, and I think, I think it's mostly lack of creativity, (laughs) um, for the most part. Yeah. And I will say that, it does kind of successfully tap into some of the naturally creepy things about pools Mm. just a little bit. I mean, like the, that kind of gurgling noise that drains make, you know, I think it, it does a good job of emphasizing that. Um, But uh, like you would think that the more supernatural elements would just be scarier i i, I don't know yeah. why why they didn't just really like let loose and go for it Same. um yeah yeah absolutely and like the opening sequence both the opening sequence and the sequence from the teaser so the opening sequence involves a, a young girl uh being lured into the pool in the past and the teaser is teenagers playing marco polo at night those are very effective set pieces one thing that i wish it would have done a lot better is do any sort of development of the teenage characters (laughs) like the the guy in it is he's in like two scenes there's nothing to his character he like it's so weird and that was another thing (laughs) That was the other thing that made me laugh is that like completely unrelated to their their house, to the pool, whatever, the like first person to interact with her at school is this guy with a flyer that's like, hey, join our swim team. It's a Christian swim team. And I'm like, what the what the hell? Like <laughs> it's just it's it's very weird. But I I don't know. It doesn't even feel like it's a it's a case of the movie being severely cut down in terms of editing. It just feels like there isn't a lot. It feels like they kind of backed themselves into a corner where they had a short film and they were like, let's expand it into a feature, but maybe weren't prepared to do that, um, which might be a little reductive or simplistic. But yeah, it it didn't work for me. Well, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about like 
the fact that we don't need to expand everything. Like, right. Maybe it is just a, a perfectly effective short film and that's all mm -hmm. it needs to be. Yeah. Um, I, I think they, in, you know, popular culture right now, there's this trend toward expanding everything and, you know, everything has to be part of like a multiverse or, yeah. <laughs> or like have some spinoff show. And like, again, I get it for capitalistic reasons, but mm. like, you know, there has to be a compelling reason to, to explore these worlds further. And I, I do think that this had potential as, as a feature film though. Mm. Um, it just, uh, yeah, it's like, it's an oddly timid movie. Mm. Um, like it feels very tame and it, and it doesn't really, uh, like you know go for broke in terms of the horror elements i mean i know right. i've kind of repeated that again and again but it's just frustrating it it really is and the and we'll talk about this in spoilers but to kind of to kind of hint at it the the whole the way that it ties itself together or it does like the it does a thing that i feel like was very very popular and it's still kind of popular in, in, in horror, but, uh, was, was very popular. It seems in like the early two thousands with like PG 13 or R rated horror, like mainstream movies where it's like, Oh, it introduces this concept. And then part of it is that they have to figure out what, like the, what the history is of it and figure out like what, like what caused it. And, this feels like the most like rudimentary, just kind of not that involving or interesting setup for that. And when we get the like answers, at, like toward the end, it's like, fine. Like, I don't like it just feels very, very muted and not very interesting um, to me. It It did not hold my attention. Yeah, that's interesting. You say, you know, what you described in the early two thousands mm. about movies revolving around a concept and the characters kind of having to piece it together. It reminds me of the ring. That's the exact one that I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that movie actually is a really interesting mystery. Oh yeah. And, and you're really with Naomi Watts the whole time as she, you know, tries to figure out what this tape is about and, mm. and all the images on it. And, I it feels like this one kind of rushes through its mystery solving. Yes. And then and we eventually arrive at a character, and I'll talk about this later, but a character that's like kind of racist and yeah, and like just very I mean, it feels almost like a satire of something like the ring. Um yeah. between that and all this all the like pull like dialogue it kind of almost feels like it's a little bit a little bit close to being a parody movie <laughs> yeah i mean like of course there's some like lore behind mm. the pool and and like it gets really goofy and and um yeah i don't know i uh, i a movie that this has been compared to is poltergeist mm -hmm. and i I don't remember, but I don't feel like the lore behind the haunting and that was nearly as like convoluted. No. Um, I feel like it was just kind of accepted as, you know, 
a haunted house mm-hmm. and something that actually occurs, you know, scarily frequently. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the mystery that's solved at the end of this movie just felt kind of goofy and, yeah. and then, yeah, it, it was <laughs> just kind of a, it was, it was a very, it was, I don't want to say wet fart of a movie, but it was very much a <laughs> not engaging horror movie. But uh, do you want to go into spoilers? Because I want to talk about the pool party scene and I kind of want to talk about it in a spoiler context. Um, and then we can also talk about the ending because Jesus. Um, yeah, I, I definitely yeah. want to talk about the pool party scene. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we before we go into spoilers, uh, what like did you have any other non spoiler thoughts? Anything to throw out, or should we just go right into spoilers? Uh, I think I've I've said my piece. I'm ready <laughs> to I'm I'm ready to go into spoilers. All right, let's do it. So we're gonna go into spoilers for Night Swim. Uh, if you want to skip the spoiler section and go to our second review of the night, check the show notes for timestamps. Um, I'm gonna play a clip from the trailer, and then when we come back, we're gonna be spoiling Night Swim. You need to say something back. Ronan, Marco. Marco. Okay, so spoilers on for Night Swim. Um the <laughs> i do want to talk really briefly in in a more spoiler context about the teenagers or like the teenage like her her um relationship with that guy it is so underdeveloped in just such a nothing plot that it feels that's one part of the movie where it feels like maybe they had written more around that but just decided to abandon it entirely um yeah how did you feel about that part of the plot um yeah it it kind of bothered me that he his sole characteristic is that he is maybe too forward with her and like kisses her when yeah he maybe shouldn't have like that's his whole character yeah. he's like the the doofus who kissed her too soon yeah um and it's like <laughs> come on we could have done a little better than that yeah we? And like they te- um, they it's teased a little bit because like it's it's more of a punchline because it's like well he's Christian that's bad for him to do that or something like that and it's like right like and that's that's like we basically the entirety of his character in this movie <laughs> boiled down to that and I'm like why even bother it's just it's it's very lazy yeah and like he could have been uh you know like um maybe like a nightmare on Elm street esque character in the sense of helping her through the horrors of the pool. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like we could have explored that a little bit. Mm. Um, I feel that way a lot about a lot of elements of the movie. It's mm. like they had this chance to expand the short film and uh, just like came up really shallow pun intended. <laughs> nice. Yeah, <laughs> they really did. And I, there was a moment in this movie, and we'll we'll kind of use this to jump to the kind of whole uh, pull party sequence. But the moment in the movie where Wyatt Russell is at his kids' baseball practice, and 
uh he like the the coach slash the father of one of the one of the kids is like ah oh, why don't you try to hit one or what have you and then he does and the movie changes into like a like a, a dramatic baseball redemption movie uh, pool of dreams <laughs> yes nice nice <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it um but it it changes into that and like for like for that moment i'm so like disengaged with most of it i'm just like yeah i'd i'd watch this movie like i really like Wyatt russell i think that this is an intriguing uh setup and everything i would watch this movie instead of the movie i'm watching now um yeah, and it 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 doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't really resonate from there, um, except to lead to the pool party. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about that sequence? Um. Yeah. I mean, I just again, I feel like his performance was just kind of uh, too understated. Mm. I I feel like when he you know knocks one out of the park he's just not that excited about it it's Mm. like this seems to be his chance to to resurrect his career and and it's just like his reaction is basically oh that's kind of (laughs) cool um yeah i just i don't understand why that was so understated and then in the pool party sequence he gets kind of cocky which seems to come out of nowhere. Um, yeah. And he's, he's kind of like strutting around and like trying to compete with like the other dude, bro neighbors. Mm. Um, and it just felt like in contrast to his more understated performance earlier on, it just felt kind of jarring and not natural. Yeah. It felt like the movie was missing like, one one scene in between like the baseball scene and the pool party scene to to really sell him on changing his kind of whole personality in in the movie but the actual pool party scene i feel like was such a missed opportunity um or it it it's kind of a um i don't know i was trying to think of a pool punt like a half uh, a half inflated pool toy um because <laughs> yeah because it has like an interesting element to where he is, uh, he wants to prove himself that he's like, or to test slash prove himself that he is better and able to like go to toe to toe in like a, the chicken fight thing in the pool with a kid and with the guy and the other kid. Um, and that's really intriguing because, the way it works out is that he is being pulled in by the entities and everything, which is, you know, easily confused with his MS coming back and, and his, his ailments kind of acting up, which that could have been a much, that could have been such an interesting thread to explore more fully with him trying to figure out like what's going on and, and 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 why it happened or convince others of what what happened and then meanwhile in that same sequence we have his son videotaping the pool party and watching as he's like jealous of his father like like bonding with another kid and then the movie does nothing with that like that feels like such a weird like anomaly in the movie because it doesn't have any bearing on anything really going on 
Um, and it's really annoying. <laughs> you, you bring up something really interesting that I hadn't considered before, uh, the suggestion that, um, his, uh, you know, attack in the pool is so close to his episodes with MS mm -hmm. that no one really knows what's going on. Like that would have been great if there were a few scenes of that. Yes. Like him at the bottom of the pool and, and like this keeps happening and his wife just dismisses it as, you know, a symptom of his MS, but it's actually him being attacked. Like that would have been great. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's the first instance um, that we see him attacked by the pool. So it feels like such a letdown <clears throat> because it's during this party where when you see all these people in the pool, you should think, Oh shit. Yeah. Like it should like have it, a jaws effect. Yeah, exactly. And like, I was talking about this with someone on Letterboxd and they had some great ideas of what that sequence could have been. And it's mm. like, let's see someone get strangled by a pool noodle <laughs> yes. or, or like, let's see the pool flood the entire neighborhood. Or yeah. like, let's have creatures coming out of the drains. Like if it's going to be Spielbergian, mm. like let's have some Spielberg spectacles. And yeah. it just, it's just Wyatt Russell at the bottom of the pool. Like that's not scary or exciting. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, yeah, it's really, it's really completely undercooked. And, but like, it, even with that, like the end of that sequence, like the kid and his dad, like they, they're like, never, never speak to my, me or my son again. And then they leave. And like, it it also like that feels like it could have been explored more as well or uh, anything else could have been done and then instead we get like okay the family's isolated they're alone the father becomes possessed and we get this like this like dual narrative thing at the cli at the climax where like the mother is saving the son and and the father is possessed and going after the daughter and 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 then it's like the most like ham fisted ending with him being like him basically sacrificing himself. And I'm just like, like it seems like they didn't work hard enough to map out how they wanted to actually tell a story. If they even had like a story worth telling in the full length version. And it's just such a, such a downer. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it was a case of, of Jason Blum, like seeing the short film and maybe approaching those filmmakers and trying to get it expanded into a feature and they just didn't have the chops. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, and I, sorry. I, I, I just want to mention real quick, uh, the, cause I didn't spoil it entirely mm. earlier, but, um, in the end, uh, the lore behind the pool is yes. explained by this like stereotypically mystical Asian character. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, come on. It's like, very cringy. Yeah. Like, it's like, well, now this really feels like an 80s Spielberg movie. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Like, uh, yeah, it just, it felt very like dated and, mm -hmm. and kind of cringy. Um, with her like explaining this like centuries old 
myth uh in this like thick asian accent it's like what what are we doing yeah and like even in addition to that the weird the weird unexplained properties of the water in that scene and how it's like i think it was like turning black and it was weird it uh, it just didn't make sense to me um and I don't know, it, it could have been, it could have been a lot better. Um, but yeah, like as soon as we get like the, the backstory of, of the family from the nineties and it, it just felt like the most lifeless explanation for what's going on, especially because it comes so late in the movie and isn't properly built toward like the, the mother Carrie Condon finds out about about the the past family and then does some googling and then goes to this place and like it's contending with so many different like half thought out subplots involving like the kids and Wyatt Russell and uh and the the community for like a brief second at the pool party but everything else just feels so like there's nothing that's really wrapping it all together and it just feels very dumb unfortunately yeah and like i don't know about you but i when the explanation came i just felt like i i don't need that no like like in poltergeist some houses are just haunted yeah like why can't just some pools be haunted right um like that's all we need the the water doesn't need to have rules yeah like Like, yeah and and like that also reminds me something i didn't mention in non-spoilers but the um the pool guy giving that whole explanation about how, uh, how like, Oh, it's tapped into the spring water and, and into a natural spring and everything. And I'm like, that is interesting enough. That's fine. But then he's like, yeah, people love their pools. Pools are magical things. And I'm like, what the, like, why? Like, this is such a non sequitur in this conversation. (laughs) And it's, it's, it just feels like, I don't know. It felt like they were like, well, this is a pool movie. We need to make sure that we reference pools every single scene. <laughs> um, yeah, it just didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, and then the last thing before we can kind of wind down this review is that, uh, there's a cat in the movie that doesn't mm. get, doesn't fare well. I don't think, um, <laughs> I think it's basically killed off. Um, for like no reason yeah no reason whatsoever it's just it's yeah yeah it's 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 unacceptable unacceptable yeah as a cat lover that bothered me because i was like if you're gonna kill off the cat like at least make its death like creative yeah if Uh, if you're gonna rip off one stephen king aspect with it why not do the whole pet cemetery thing too and throw the cat in the in the pool and then have it be reanimated um (laughs) yeah uh yeah speaking of cats pizza is coming up but um yeah uh so yeah any any final thoughts on night swim uh and if not what did you end up rating it on letterboxd uh i gave this one two stars i'm usually pretty generous with star ratings but um yeah just really disappointed in this one um i think it was actually the first january release that i saw oh yeah um yeah uh yeah just really disappointing it's funny by the time this 
episode goes up. I don't know if it'll even be in theaters, but yeah, I was thinking that uh, too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a bummer. Yeah, it really was. I rated it two stars as well. I think for a brief moment, I was considering doing two point five, but I I could I just couldn't I couldn't um I couldn't reconcile myself with that. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't justify it. So I ended up rating it two stars. Uh, once again, uh, for our listeners, Sam wrote a review on Midwest Film Journal. Check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, yeah, that's that's it for our review of Night Swim. Um, Sam, are you ready for the secondary review of the evening? Self-reliance. Yes, and I will say this movie is better than Night Swim. Yes, yes it is. Um, <laughs> uh, Self-Reliance uh, is the directorial debut of actor Jake Johnson, who's obviously known for uh, New Girl and uh, in Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, the premise of Self-Reliance is when a man is offered a million dollars to play a game in which hunters try to kill him, he thinks he has found the perfect loophole. They can only attack when he's alone. His only problem is that none of his friends or family believe the game is real. Uh, the, the cast includes Jake Johnson, Anna Kendrick, Biff Whiff, uh, Mary Holland, Emily Hampshire, and Andy Samberg. And uh, I figure we'll probably go ahead and just do a, a, a non-spoiler review, and then if need be, we'll do a quick spoiler review at the end. But uh, Sam, how did you feel about Self-Reliance? Um, I thought it was uh, a pretty impressive debut, directorial debut for Jake Johnson. Um, before watching it, I didn't know that he wrote it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a little research, and uh, he had actually planned it as a series, and oh, wow. um, he had like three seasons mapped out. Um, I will say I'm glad he didn't go that route because I felt the movie didn't have a whole lot of meat on its bones. Um, I thought, so the premise is, you know, uh, kind of sets his character up for some possible danger. Mm. And I, I liked it. I liked the movie. I did feel like it was a little too breezy. Um, for it to really succeed uh, as somewhat of a thriller because Mm. I was never, the stakes didn't feel as high as they were presented to be because of its breeziness. Um, And I, uh, I don't know. I think Jake Johnson ultimately carries it though, just with his charm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was okay. Um, I also feel like I've seen this sort of thing before mm. um, with, you know, the game um, and uh, uh, even, you know, other comedic versions. Like, I don't, have you seen the movie The Man Who Knew Too Little? I haven't, no. Um, probably that- the best probably not the best example because it's kind of a (laughs) lousy movie Mm. with bill murray but he's in kind of like a role-playing scenario um and i didn't think that this take on it was like that much fresher than kind of what i've seen before Mm -hmm. um but uh you know overall i i thought it was charming um yeah what did you think 
Yeah, that's kind of where I came down on it too. I did think it was it was uh, pretty charming overall, and I think Jake Johnson, Jake Johnson, uh, clearly knows what he works best in, and by that I mean he has this kind of um, this this kind of not necessarily slacker um, sort of persona, but something kind of adjacent to that. And I think it works really well in this movie because he has this kind of laid back kind of uh, nature to himself. But once the, the game like starts and once everything kind of starts going uh, into a more, um, a more intense Avenue, the kind of biggest strength that the movie has is that it explores his character as being someone who is trying to convince others of what's going on, but failing to convince them, but being kind of a mix between, um, not a mix between the straight man and, 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 uh, a hectic person, but basically his family who should be taking him seriously and his, and his, uh, his heightened state of sus- suspense or uh, fear, they are just kind of like, nope, that's just him. And then he's, I don't know, he has this kind of casualness to the uh, immediacy of the of the situation that he's in. So like he'll he'll like throw out a quick line about how like okay, well I, I'm I'm in a life or death situation and you guys are are fucking with me. So like I don't know what I don't know what to do. But he'll do it in such a way that it's like he has that laid back persona thing kind of locked down in him. Um, I don't know if I'm communicating it well enough, but, but basically I just think that it's an interesting, an interesting balance for him to have like this crazy situation in which he is uh, the only one who is aware of what's going on, but he's failing so, uh, so miserably at, uh, at, at, at convincing others of it um i don't know it, it like like it, it he he doesn't he doesn't expend a lot of energy trying to convince them of it it's just like they're not going to believe it so fucking i'm just going to be panicked throughout everything um so i don't know yeah, i just i liked it i see what you're saying like his character could have easily been super neurotic and yes. like nebbish and you know freaking out uh, but he is kind of comically casual about it. And uh, what's funny is that, like you said, that's why no one believes him is because yeah. he explains it in this like such casual way, like uh, as if they should just naturally accept it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, what and and the setup itself is kind of. It, it's like it sets itself up in a way to where it's so odd that you'd kind of have to believe it. Like Mm -hmm. Andy Samberg um, gets him into the game (laughs) and it's like, if it were truly ridiculous, you would have, there would have been a bigger celebrity than Andy Samberg involved. (laughs) And it's like, that's, you know, it's like, uh, why would I make up that I met Andy Samberg? (laughs) Right. Um, so like that's funny and everything, but I think that also plays into the movie's weakness. Maybe like mm. maybe that's why I didn't feel as invested in it because uh, it's, it has this like kind of casual distance that 
the character creates between people and maybe the audience itself. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like the movie itself was like a little too breezy. Like yeah. uh, when the, the killers are, are hunting him, <clears throat> I thought there was an opportunity for some sequences that were, you know, truly kind of surprisingly scary. Yeah. And it just never reached that level for me same um, they kind of underplayed the whole hunter aspect of it um yeah it's like yeah. it's fine to have this you know character who treats everything casually but mm-hmm. i think everything around him should have been a little more heightened yes absolutely absolutely um a big part of the movie is his connection with anna kendrick that forms and the way that they kind of bond throughout the movie. I don't want to necessarily go into too many spoilers until we get to spoilers, but um, I did like the way that that kind of relationship kind of grew throughout the movie. Um, And I think it's paid off pretty well at the end. Um, But I did like, I I kind of wish that that was a little bit more uh, pivotal in, into things. Cause at one point things are just kind of dropped. Um, until like it resurfaces at the end. So I don't know. I just kind of felt like that was a little bit underdeveloped, but what was there I thought was pretty, was pretty interesting and, and uh, uh, kind of goes into kind of like an indie romantic drama sort of, uh, sort of storyline for a moment. And I kind of appreciated that. Yeah. I thought the, the, yeah, kind of indie romantic dramedy elements worked really well. Yeah. Um, I read that Jake Johnson pitched this movie as uh, like bottle rocket by way of Jacob's ladder. <laughs> and I think that's, that sounds much more interesting than what the movie is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I said earlier, like it could have used a little more Jacob's ladder, like mm. some sequences that were truly scary. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it's uh it's an okay movie yeah um i you know i was much more invested in it than i was in night swim oh me too me too (laughs) um i you know i i didn't find myself getting angry about it right um so yeah there there's a win there yeah and i really liked seeing biff whiff in the movie um he is someone who like I and like the rest of the internet, I think, has has kind of fallen in love with him thanks to uh, a couple of sketches in I Think You Should Leave. Um, and it's nice to see him in a supporting role in like a feature film. Um, and I thought he was he was really good throughout the movie. Is he Detective Crashmore? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, he's yeah, Santa Claus. He's, he's, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> he's um, fantastic. Yeah, and his character is hilarious. Oh, absolutely. In, in this movie. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts and non-spoilers or do you want to jump into spoiler section? Yeah, I think I'm ready for spoilers. Okay. Yeah, me too. I can't really think of anything to, to talk about a non-spoiler. So we're going to go ahead and go into spoilers for self-reliance. Um, it is streaming on Hulu. Um, if you don't want to be spoiled, check the show notes for timestamps, all of that. And, uh, if you have seen it, uh, stay tuned because I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. And when we come back, we're going to be spoiling self-reliance. Hi. Are you the actor Andy Samberg? I am. I'm a big fan, man. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, I got a question for you. 
You want to get in? Thomas Walcott, single, no children, no dependents. Job is network management, physically fit. <laughs> Guess they're not too strict about that one. I'm joking. Kind of serious, though. You have been selected to partake in the biggest reality show in the dark web. There will be people trying to kill you, the hunters. What are you talking about? There's people trying to murder me? Oh, shit. Very much so. You will have 30 days to survive. You will only be killed when you are alone. So let me get this straight. You cannot touch me if I'm with someone, and then I get a million dollars. All right, so spoilers on for self-reliance. Sam, we didn't really talk too much about the intricacies of the plot or the intricacies of the game. Um, but I thought that it was pretty interesting that they have that caveat of like you, they can't kill you if you're uh, unless you're alone, which makes sense even if it seems kind of arbitrary. Um, but I do like that as a as a jumping off point to explore his kind of like not uh, kind of, I guess, slacker lifestyle or lack of connection with other people and him not moving on from his divorce also, um, or relationship dissolving. I can't remember if they were married. I think they were. Yeah. Um, so yeah. How did you feel about that part of the, of the game and the plot? Um, I thought that was interesting because, you know, he views it as an easy loophole when in actuality it kind of presents a terrifying situation for him as someone who was just recently broken up with mm. and is alone. Uh, but he seems to be in denial about that. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting conflict. Mm-hmm. Um And I think he, I know Jake Johnson also wrote it during uh covid Um, so like the idea of isolation is there um that makes sense yeah and plus i mean it's just kind of naturally funny to see him try to partner up with people yeah (laughs) complete strangers i mean biff with plays Mm -hmm. a just a homeless guy that he bumps into and and makes his you know bodyguard so to speak Um. So, yeah, I thought that was um, a premise that's definitely rich for mm-hmm. comedy, which he, you know, mines pretty well. Yeah, and I I like the way that he has these interactions with other characters and the way that it kind of is a reflection of how he... Uh, how his how he is toward other people so like the idea of him being hunted is obviously creating this sense of immediacy that he needs to be with other people at all times so like that creates a burden on other people for sure but i feel like it's not necessarily presented as him having burned bridges or anything it's just that he is asking way too much of people um and when we get like Biff Whiff in the picture and then Anna Kendrick in the picture as well, um, as being kind of partnering up with him to help him survive this, it kind of felt like it maybe lost a little bit of that, of that, um, reflection of how he treats people, um, aspect. Um, he does kind of grow from the experience or grow from the, uh, from the, 
inner like the the shared connection that he has with Anna Kendrick and that's that's all well and good and great and everything um but I kind of feel like it lost a little bit of luster um in terms of what it was trying to say about who he is as a person at the end of the day yeah I think that's a good point and it's also kind of the way he acts with people when he partners up with them is presented as like him growing and changing, but he's actually just in the same rut that he was in before. Yeah. Uh, Like there's this scene where his longtime girlfriend who he had been with since he was like 15 years old, Mm. uh, you know, she explains to him that she felt like they were kind of sleepwalking through life and, just doing the same things and they were just kind of attached for the sake of being attached. And, and it's trying to present his situation as the game as being different, but it's really kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of contradictory and in sort of a weird way. Mm. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I was also kind of bothered by, the multiple instances of him resolving these long time conflicts with people with basically one conversation. Yeah. It seemed a little bit weak. Uh, really? Yeah. 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 Like, you know, he, the movie sets him up as having a really hard time confronting his ex-girlfriend like he goes Mm. to her house every day but he doesn't have the guts to knock on the door and he finally knocks on the door and and it's like they have this you know uh like lifetime worth of therapy right in in a five-minute conversation yeah which also kind of feels like i i think i appreciate that a little bit more more than you do because it does kind of it, I don't know. It, it it in itself kind of contradicts itself for him as a character because he, up until that point in the movie, was saying like, ah, "I have no idea what what happened. I have no idea what caused everything to unravel. I don't know why she left me." And then when they have the conversation, she's like, "You know why? Like we like we had long conversations about this. Uh, like this is why. It's we were in a rut. Like we did. Like we were doing everything. You were content with everything. I wanted more. Like going through all of it, and it's with it's presenting it with the idea that like they've had exhaustive talks about this. Yet he just kind of closed himself off to that, um, and and created this kind of insulated or isolated uh thing around his emotions about it to where it's like well yeah i don't know so i can't be i can't i can't move on because i don't know what i was the cause of or what what i did to cause that so i'm just going to stay stay here do my thing and just be like in this completely depressing like uh singular existence that's completely routine and uh and just not think about it um, so I don't know. I, I appreciated that a little bit more and I think I kind of got a little bit higher opinion of it just talking it out just now, but, um, <laughs> but I did, I did, I did think that that was okay. It was, it was fine. Yeah. I guess my issue is that like the relationship he forms with Anna Kendrick, I mean, by necessity, they have to just kind of, you know, be together and and mm-hmm. not leave. But it, 
uh, it wasn't that much different than his former relationship, I guess. And, right. You know, they talk about, as <clears throat> she says something about like, you know, let's live each day. Like it's our last, but right. they just kind of stay hunkered down in a motel room and I don't know, it would have been interesting to see them uh, kind of say yes to everything and like yeah. take risks and and there would have been, you know, some chance for some further comedy if, mm. if they were adventurous like they seem to think they were. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. It kind of just falls into that same routine. And then I also thought that... Um, it was setting it up to uh, like I was I was suspecting that either Anna Kendrick or Biff Whiff would would have been like actually an assassin and like playing him and everything. And I, can't, I think the movie kind of toys with that idea or teases it a little bit. But then it, I, I kind of liked the reveal of Anna Kendrick just being like, yeah, I'm just a lonely person. I just just I like I didn't realize that it was real, but I figured I'd just, you know, string you along and everything. And it's like, OK, yeah, that I mean, that works. That's interesting character development. But then also like the end of the movie is predicated on like, like the last scene is the last shot of the movie is it's, it's a good callback cause it's him at her door and then tr about to knock and then stopping and then knocking. Cause he's now moved on from, you know, his rut and everything. But it also is like, I kind of want to see them like them reckon with that, like that massive lie that she did the manipulation and, everything which i guess we got a little bit of that but i just kind of wanted more resolution to that i guess yeah and uh, yeah i think that's a good point and like the cynical side of me sees that ending and thinks well he's kind of back where he started <laughs> yeah um i mean the movie opens with him you know knocking on his former girlfriend's door and you know who's to say that the the knock at the end will lead to something happy um yeah. well but that's me being kind of overly cynical about it I, <laughs> sure sure but also i think that because the beginning of it is him not knocking on the door and the the ending is him actually knocking uh, on the door so i think that that yeah. that opens you didn't the door have to school me so hard <laughs> like there's no need to yell okay <laughs> no yelling i promise but uh <laughs> but yeah there is there is that but i i wanted a little bit more closure out of that um and i also kind of felt like the the whole father aspect was probably the weakest part for me um because like it's referenced that his father left at an early age and then suddenly like the the proprietors of the game like brought his father like like Wayne Brady went and got his father and brought him to him in a limousine I'm like it's that felt like a little bit a little bit like it didn't fit within the greater greater movie how'd you feel about uh Christopher Lloyd uh as the father well yeah that goes back to what I was saying about like it's fine if if his character uh treats everything casually mm. but i think the movie itself kind of treats everything casually like getting his father involved like you said is like kind of ridiculous if you think about it um yeah. but it, it's sort of the ridiculousness is kind of glossed over and i don't know if 
that's what's supposed to make it funny. Mm. I mean, I, it's not really played for laughs. No. Um, I, I mean, in terms of Christopher Lloyd, like, uh, he's always a treat to see mm-hmm. when he pops up and stuff. And I mean, I think he does a lot with the little he has to work with. Yeah. Um, that was another one, uh, you know, instance where I felt like their confrontation was a little, uh, kind of half-hearted and mm-hmm. like, you know, it could have been a, a more dramatic scene. Um, you know, it basically just ends with him saying, I love you, dad. And like, everything's fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, maybe you get, maybe there's supposed to be the sense that like, after going through this life or death situation, like he's able to let go of his resentment toward his father. Like, yeah. Um, to me, it felt a little half baked and it, it just kind of, felt like a big moment that just sort of fizzled out um i agree yeah yeah um another thing i wanted to bring up was the andy sandberg of it all um i thought that that was a good bookend for the movie um especially since it's basically presented like obviously it's he's playing himself a version of himself but i like that it's basically like this dark web game has not even like extorted him or blackmailed him into doing this. It's more like, it's more like an extreme version of a cameo that they bought, like, like cameo, the website. (laughs) And I, I like that, but I, I think that, I think that I was, I was hoping or I wish that the movie would have done a little bit more with that. Cause there's Andy Samberg and then Wayne Brady is referenced and then pops up in the movie. But I kind of, I kind of, I, it's, it was kind of disappointing that that kind of, I don't know if I'd say meta aspect of it, but, um, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's also just me kind of wanting something different out of the movie than what it was entirely. But I think that I was under the impression that maybe Andy Samberg and maybe other celebrities would make a bigger, uh, have a bigger presence in the movie. Um, but that obviously wasn't the case, but what we got of them was, was pretty good. And it also kind of feels a little bit interesting in terms of um at least in that first scene with andy samberg and jake johnson where at the end of it jake johnson's like do you do you want to get a beer or something sometime and he's like no just leave um like that's funny but it's also it feels like an interesting kind of uh, reflection of of jake johnson's character just not like not having a lot of connections with people or um having like a strong uh i don't know support system for his various idiosyncrasies idiosyncrasies so i don't know how'd you feel about it um well in terms of the ending like i uh, i don't know why there wasn't more of a reveal that the Mm. the show was real um i mean it it ends still leaving you wondering whether any of that was legit like he he just is handed a briefcase in a, in a warehouse, basically. Um, I don't know. I like just, just a little taste of what the reality show was would have been. Yeah. Kind of would have, I, it felt necessary to me just, mm-hmm. I mean, not a lot, but just like, you know, maybe just one little clip of him watching 
the show on his laptop or something. Um, yeah, that would have been really good because especially since the plot has a couple of turns where like the whole scene where um, they're told that it's uh, the actual name of the show is like delusions of grandeur. And it's not like, it's not, it's not a survival story show. It's a show about just people that have inflated opinions of themselves or like they, there was a whole thing. And then I don't know, it does leave it on kind of not necessarily ambiguous uh, note, but it's just kind of like a, what was the point of it <laughs> kind of uh uh as a as a more overall feel toward it i don't know yeah um and i mean not that i expected this to be david fincher's the game by any means right but it does have a very similar ending with you know everyone kind of showing up at the big reveal mm-hmm. and what's funny is that in the game to me that's like one of the most emotional scenes in david fincher's whole filmography and nice. i just think that ending pays off really well and in this movie it's like uh it kind of ends with like such an awkward whimper and um and i get that you know that's like part of the movie's sense of humor but um yeah and maybe it's commenting on the fact that like in reality if there were a game like scenario the in the big reveal at the end would probably be kind of awkward and like a letdown (laughs) yeah that's fair um (laughs) I don't know. It just, it goes to show like the fact that I'm not really sure what it's aiming for and whether it's successful. It's like, it felt a little half baked to me. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Same, same here. Um, yeah, I, I think that overall it definitely feels like it's a strong outing for Jake Johnson as, as you know, a first time director. Um, I think that it shows a lot of promise. Um, but I, like, I'm, I'm eager to see what he does next as a filmmaker, but I think that overall this movie, if, if it didn't have his name behind it, or it didn't have that distinction of being like his debut film or his directorial debut, at least, um, I think it would be a little bit more forgettable than um than than the kind of out there premise should have it be. Um but I think overall it was it was okay. Um <laughs> like I said I rated it I th- did I say what I rated it? I ended up rating it 3 stars. Um I thought it was solid. Yeah, I'd probably go with 3 stars. Um nice. I think that's a great point that like if it weren't his directorial debut and it was just something he starred in. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I would have given it quite as much consideration. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it is his first outing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, a. I would say it's a better debut film than, uh, night swim. Yeah. Um, oh, I totally agree. At the very least self-reliance at least has like, a pretty clear idea of what it wants to say or what it's saying. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I feel like I've maybe been a little too dismissive of it. I think it has very like, you know, lovely ideas about like stepping outside of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and, and like connecting with people and, and, 
um you know i think it's very well intentioned and and heartfelt it just didn't yeah. it didn't quite uh you know blow me away but uh, you know i i don't mean to sound too dismissive and cynical about it right same here it was definitely it was definitely solid i i definitely definitely liked it so um i liked it well enough i'll say that um yeah, any other thoughts on self-reliance or should we kind of just kind of start winding down with the potpourri section? I'm, uh, I'm ready for some potpourri. All right, sweet. So once again, uh, we both rated it three stars on Letterboxd, I believe. Um, and yeah, check that check that out on Letterboxd. My username is Obsessive Viewer and of course, Sam's is Sam Movie Man. Uh, link to the, all that in the show notes, of course. Um, so that is our secondary review for the evening. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you thought of Self-Reliance and Night Swim. Of course, you can uh, reach me on all the social medias or email me, matt at obsessiveviewer.com um, or, you know, join Patreon and message me there. Um patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um so uh with that we're going to plug subtle thank you thank you i am a seasoned professional (laughs) (laughs) uh but with that we're going to wind down the episode with the potpourri section of the show which is the show in which we kind of uh talk about anything that we've watched lately any anything that didn't really that we didn't cover in the show um it's the segment where um uh what was the catchphrase for it i'm not sure <laughs> whatever we want as long as it smells good there we go so for potpourri i have one thing sam do you want to get us kicked off with with something that you've watched lately or anything that you you have on your mind uh for potpourri uh yeah sure i just want to give a uh for the indiana listeners um I want to give a quick shout out to the historic art craft theater nice um i just saw uh a 35 millimeter print of fargo there and it was just magical um if you haven't been i highly recommend going and i mean yes it was a very scratchy print Mm -hmm. but kind of charmingly so i think it's cool to see you know uh an old um uh piece of film um it it makes for a completely different viewing experience Mm -hmm. um so i would just highly recommend uh that theater to anyone who hasn't gone it's in franklin um i think they have i think the next movie coming up in february is pretty in pink um just a, a really cool second run theater i think it's like a hundred years old mm-hmm. um so yeah i just wanted to give that theater a little shout out absolutely um i love the Artcraft theater so much um they i believe here in a couple of weeks yeah you were right uh, pretty in pink is playing february 9th and 10th uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is playing the weekend of the of February sixteenth. Uh, coming to Coming to America is going to be playing February twenty third and twenty fourth. Um, and I believe that here soon they're going to have their sponsor, like their sponsorship party thing, uh, where basically what I understand is that they have their schedule and they have like local businesses come and sponsor um, screenings. So that's when like sometime next month, I believe they will, uh, uh, kind of unveil the full calendar of, of movies. But 
I like I just I love that place so much. I've seen like I've seen several movies there and I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but like that move that movie theater is something so special. Like it's such a special place. I've seen several of my like all-time favorite movies there and like more recently I saw the original Scream which was fantastic to see on the on the big screen for the first time seeing it on the big screen um which is awesome Was it an old print? It I don't think it was. I think it was a digital like Blu-ray transfer but it uh, was still it was still really like even just stretched out it kind of had like an antique quality to it. Um yeah. But it was still it was it was awesome because that is probably the movie I've seen the most times in my entire life. And it's just cool to think that like here 20 some odd years later or uh, I can't do math that quickly, but um, almost 20 years later, uh, I finally got to see it on the big screen uh, for the first time. So that was great. Obviously, one of my go to go-to anecdotes about the Artcraft Theater is that I got to see a 35 millimeter print of Seven Samurai uh, oh, wow. a few years ago. Oh my God. It was like, that was such, that was like almost a religious experience for me. And like, yeah. it was amazing because like Seven Samurai is my all-time favorite movie, but it is the best movie I've ever seen. It's incredible. Um, and like getting to see it on the big screen with a big like a packed house was so interesting to me because i had seen it i like i've seen it several times over several like 15 20 years probably um in different ways in different like i would i would take my laptop to work when i worked as a security guard uh, worked overnight as a security guard and watch it on my laptop um mm-hmm. and like to see it with a group of people and to like hear people laughing at the, at, like the funny parts or, or being like, like affected at the emotional parts and everything. I'm like, this is, this is cinema. Um, it was just amazing. <laughs> um, and I also got to see the original Godzilla as part of like a big, like two day, like fest that they did for sci-fi horror monster movies. That was a lot of fun. Oh wow. um, yeah, I just I adore that theater so much. It is it is probably it is one of if not my favorite place favorite place to see a movie in Indianapolis or in the Indianapolis surrounding area because uh, it's in Franklin. But yeah, but anyway, I'm glad you got to see Fargo there. It's uh awesome. Yeah, yeah and and I want to just add um you get a lot of bang for your buck there. Mm-hmm. Um the the tickets are super cheap. They're like 6 yep. bucks. And they don't just show the movie. Um, they do like a raffle beforehand and they show an old cartoon uh, for Fargo. Um, yeah. Two of the uh, employees did like a little Fargo themed sketch beforehand. Nice. Um, and they like spoke in Minnesota accents. <laughs> um, uh, like, you know, there's a lot more to it than just the you know the movie itself um, yeah it is not like a multiplex experience it is it is very clearly like a very community focused like experience and it's it's just so it's so warming it's so like heartwarming to be there i i I loved it oh i also saw et there um oh wow yeah that was awesome yeah (laughs) um 
Yeah, I haven't seen nearly as many movies there as you have. I'm I'm kind of catching up. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh it is cool. Like I, I went to the bathroom at one point and I came back in and just like everyone laughing at you know one of the iconic moments was just like like you said it was like really heartwarming yeah it's like people it's like everyone laughs like a little harder there yep um and it does feel like more of a communal experience than your typical you know multiplex so it it, i agree it's very special absolutely and i'll put a link in the show notes for people to find the art craft theater uh because it's it's fantastic we we love it here at the obsessive viewer um okay anything else for page or for for potpourri or should i go to mine uh go to yours please okay so i kind of spoiled this to you earlier uh in the day on facebook but um (laughs) like i so what i've been doing is when i have like a guest or like i this is the first time i'm doing this specific thing but i mentioned in a previous episode that basically what i'm doing where with potpourri uh this year um as i'm working on being more consistent is that when i have time allocated to me to where i can watch something um, with the express purpose of bringing it up on potpourri, I will do that. So since we're recording this a little bit ahead of time, I was able to finesse watching a movie. Um, and I was trying to figure out what movie I would watch. So I decided to go to your letterboxd account. Um, and I went to the like films tab where it shows all the movies that you've logged and rated. And what I did was I sorted them by your highest rating. And then since I've been such a, such, such a, uh, a big fan of criterion channel recently, since I got a subscription to it, um, I decided to filter that by all the ones that are available on Criterion Channel and all the ones that are on like my personal watch list of Criterion Channel movies. So I decided to watch The Wages of Fear um, after going through that whole rigmarole. Um, and this was a movie that I had not seen. Um, it is phenomenal. It is absolutely incredible. Um, the plot summary for those who uh, don't know is something that I'm bringing up right now as I fill time. Uh, The plot summary, it's from 1953. Uh, It's in in the South American jungle. Supplies of nitroglycerin are needed at a remote oil field. The oil company pays four men to deliver the supplies in two trucks. A tense rivalry develops between the two sets of drivers on the rough remote roads where the slightest jolt can result in death. This movie blew me away as in anti-capitalist um kind of uh, movie it it's it's incredible it is incredibly tense it is incredibly tense um basically it follows these the these two sets of two men with trucks of massive amounts of like jerry cans of nitroglycerin and they have to go 300 miles to for two thousand dollars so it's just like the the level of tension that comes in just like the slow moving of these giant trucks uh and the different obstacles that they come across and just like that ticking time bomb throughout it is just so like pulse pounding and tense filled but also just the fact that it's they're doing it so that they can like i think i don't just so that they can like eke out a living or be able to get out of the town that they're in 
is remarkable. I don't know. I loved it. Uh, Sam, it's one of your higher rated movies on Letterboxd. Uh, how did you feel about The Wages of Fear? Well, I'm thrilled that you watched and enjoyed it. Um, just hearing you uh, read the plot synopsis, like, how badass does that sound? Oh my God, so good. <laughs> and like, it really lives up to that. Like, mm. it's, you know, it's black and white, it's from the 50s. But it feels like a fucking like Michael Bay high concept action movie from yes. the late 90s or 2000s. Yes. Like it's really intense. Mm-hmm. Like, and not to like rag on, you know, old movies by any means. Right. But I just, when I first saw it, like I didn't expect that level of intensity and, and action drama. Same. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a really cool movie. Um, and, uh, you know, also kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, if I remember correctly, the guys who are tasked with this, like, you know, seemingly impossible mission are doing it for like a very meager amount of money. Yeah. Like um, it's for two thousand dollars, and I'm sure that back then it was a lot more than two thousand in terms of you know how much that money is now. But like just the idea, like there, like there's a moment early on when when not only like when when the oil company is like, okay, well we need this, uh, we're going to we're only going to, we're only going to hire four people. And so we need to prove that you guys know how to drive. And, um, and then when they get to where they're about to be, uh, taking assignments and everything, one, one guy's like, no, uh, you know, I knew someone who took a job like this. And when he came back, he was never the same. Uh, and no, there's no amount of money to, to make me do this. And he leaves. And it's like, just the fact that, like there's a point early in the movie where um the kind of main character i guess um is uh mario uh he is um talking to joe the the other kind of the, his who becomes his partner in the drive um and he's explaining the like yeah i can't leave i like there's no way i i think i might be confusing it with sorcerer which is the remake that um uh william freakin i think did Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily explained in the movie, in this movie, but, um, it's like implied, or I think that there is a little bit of confusion on my part that it's kind of like they, the people that are going for this job are not necessarily on the run, but have, don't have a natural way to get into like legitimate jobs. Um, Right. Yeah. And so there's that scene where Mario is telling Joe, like, yeah, you can't like it costs this much to get a train ticket or there's no trains coming out this way. So I need like he's basically explaining like he's literally stuck here. And as someone who has been working an office job for (laughs) almost eight years and feeling that corporate kind of uh, complacency or stagnant nature of of the corporate world and also having much just just like having grown into someone who just is is very much not pleased with the late stage capitalism we're in um 
like this movie like resonated in such a profound way and it's so funny that it's what 70 years and it still resonates um it's 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 amazing it's incredible um yeah yeah very well said thank Um, you uh yeah and the way it revolves around this ensemble of like salt of the earth Mm. guys on this very dangerous mission i mean i you know i said this earlier but it feels like like armageddon or like con air or something yeah um and uh, you know i'm sure there are snobs out there (laughs) calling me an idiot for making that comparison (laughs) Um, but I think it's true. It, it feels oh, absolutely. like this, like, you know, kind of, uh, heightened like action movie. Yeah. Um, and like, there's such a variety to that tension too. Like there's scenes where it's just like them going across a road and they have to go a certain speed or, or they have to speed up to get, to get through it. And like the amount of tension in that scene is, comparable to like other scenes that are more directly like tension filled like them trying to maneuver around like a a a a, a cliff edge or um uh i don't know i don't want to say deck but like a a di- dilapidated wooden structure that is it like i like i kind of i kind of I kind of did like a oh Jesus moment in one part and it's just like it's so it's so well done. It's it's great. I think it's it's and again not ragging on older movies, but I think mm-hmm. it would be a great sort of introductory movie to people who are kind of hesitant about foreign films or mm-hmm. or older black and white movies um and you know might think that they're not as exciting as movies today i think the wages of fear would be a great movie to kind of start them with to prove them wrong and and show them that like you know stuff from the 50s also kicked ass absolutely and it's so funny because when you you just said like foreign films and i was like Oh shit. Yeah, this is like a French movie. <laughs> like it's like yeah. the majority of uh like it's it's in like French and uh, like the, I mean there's a little bit of English spoken and Spanish and Italian but um but like talking it uh, talking it up in this in this recording like I just completely spaced that it was a foreign film which I mean like I watched tons of foreign films anyway but um it's it's just it's it is incredibly incredibly well done. Um yeah, and heartbreaking also. Um, well, I'm glad that yeah. I I sort of led you to it. Yes, yes. Without uh, without your knowledge, I was led by you to watch The Wages of Fear, and I cannot thank you enough for the complete inaction that you took in doing that. But <laughs> I'm glad that you rated it at one point on Letterboxd so that I could come to it. Uh, <laughs> hey man i mean that's the magic of letterbox like exactly sometimes, sometimes i'll just look at you know i'll randomly look at friends pages and and find movies to watch that way so oh, absolutely it's like it's like a very harmless form of stalking it is it is and it is why it's one of my if not my absolute favorite social media site even though i don't know if you can technically call it social media but um yeah i love letterboxd <laughs> So. Yeah, like instead of Facebook, where we're just kind of like scrolling through people's lives and yes. getting bitter and like jealous <laughs> and like conjuring up all these ugly feelings, 
like you can go on letterboxd and say like oh they liked that movie maybe i will too exactly it's a more more wholesome social media experience oh absolutely and then you can get pissed off when they rate like rebel moon like four stars um (laughs) well yeah there's that too yeah uh but much like the wages of fear it is its own minefield letterboxd is but uh well done (laughs) thank you but uh but yeah so that's all i've got for uh potpourri here um so we're gonna we're gonna close out the episode that's it um uh sam thank you so much for joining me and if you wouldn't mind telling people uh where they can find you online and if you've got any reviews coming up or anything that you're that's on your radar in terms of movies yeah um you can find all of my reviews on um or all of my latest reviews on uh midwestfilmjournal.com you can find me on letterboxd at uh sam movie man um i have a review of night swim um i'm not really sure what's what's coming up next um i think midwest film journal has a few themed series in the yes. works uh which I'm sure I'll contribute to. Um, But yeah, just uh, keep an eye on it. I'm sure I'll be on there eventually. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for joining me tonight. Um, For the listeners, thank you for listening. And also you can uh, subscribe to the show and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, YouTube, and uh, audible also uh links to all that in the show notes and everything um tell your friends about obsessive viewer um and help grow the grow the podcast um <laughs> uh next week on the show the plan is to review mean girls 2024 and iss which in my head i keep saying isis um <laughs> uh so that's on the docket for next week i'm gonna start playing us out you can follow me on letterbox that obsessive viewer and all across social media at obsessive viewer also check out the other shows anthology and tower junkies and once again if you feel like you're in the giving mood check out patreon patreon.com slash obsessive viewer hundreds and hundreds of exclusive episodes there uh thank you once again sam and uh thank you for listeners and we'll see you next week and now enjoy this short clip from our patreon exclusive feed for this and more exclusive content join our patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer amazing. Jane Alexander gives such an incredible performance and there's a scene, the scene that broke me, the scene that legitimately just broke me was the one involving uh, Scotty getting a bath in in the sink. I'm not going to give away what it is, but just when you see that scene and you realize what's happening and you realize what it means and it is it is so beautifully done but it is it is almost too painful to watch it's too painful to watch because it feels just so genuine it feels so like realistic like i said nothing nothing in this movie delves into any kind of melodrama thank you for listening to the obsessive viewer podcast this episode was produced and edited by me matt hurt if you have feedback thoughts on our reviews or just want to connect you can email me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com for more information on all of our shows including a full archive of our episodes and show notes plus plenty of written reviews visit obsessiveviewer.com 
If you enjoyed the show, please give us a follow on social media and subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Also, consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible to help increase our visibility and help grow our community. If you want to support the show and help keep us going while getting early access to new episodes as well as a steady stream of exclusive content, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Our theme song is A Little Mad Sometimes by As Good As It Gets. For more of their music, check them out on Spotify and at asgoodasitgetsmusic.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>